Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Hello, everybody. This is Alan Belowski with another uh, show of Catholic mysticism. We talk about the mystical aspects of our beautiful Catholic faith, the supernatural. We talk about saints and topics uh, that uh, affect our faith. So today, uh, September, uh, we're uh, 17th here. We're going to, well, wait a minute, what am I getting my dates mis- mixed up? <laughs> Excuse me, <laughs> September 18th. It's uh, the feast day of St. Joseph of Cupertino. And this is an amazing saint because he's a very common man. He's like, uh, Many of us, you know, and it's a fascinating story. And I thought we'd start the show uh, by touching uh, on his life and a couple of the miracles. And uh, we will go from there. But um, St. Joseph Cupertino uh, suffered a terrible childhood. And he didn't have an easy, and that's a great understatement. And yet, because of his simplicity, maybe, uh, because we know that Christ chooses simple people in many cases. Um, we look at the seers of Fatima, uh, St. Jacinta, St. Francisco, and Sister Lucia, and they were just children. Or a very simple girl like St. Bernadette with the apparitions of lords. So we see throughout our beautiful Catholic history that Jesus has used many, many men and women that are very simple, but very holy, and have a heart that is so in tune and in love with Jesus that he is able to work all kinds of miracles through his grace. And St. Joseph was certainly one of those. Um, So in love with the Lord, heart so enlarged with love of the Lord that God's grace can work in such a powerful, powerful way through him and others that are willing to live uh, a life with Christ. Now, he was one of the most miracle-prone saints in our church and often totally uh, consumed by uh, prayerful ecstasy. And, of course, we'll talk about this. He was observed levitating, which means he rose from what position he was in into the air. Now... He was born in the year 1603 in Cupertino, Italy. And he was born to poor parents. His father, and don't forget, Jesus and St. Joseph were carpenters, and Joseph of Cupertino's father was a carpenter. But he had problems uh, with making ends meet. And unfortunately, he had to put up the house that they lived in for uh uh, for sale, just as his wife was going to give birth to Joseph. So she gave birth to Joseph in a shed behind the house. So here we can see a parallel, you know, of the carpentry of Jesus's foster father, St. Joseph, and Jesus being born in a very simple manger in a cave. And uh, we see that St. Joseph of Cupertino very simply, born in the shed behind the house. 
So very, very simple beginnings. Not great uh, pop circumstance, but simple, simple things. Now, unfortunately, Joseph's father died when he was young. And his widow mother, whether she took this very hard or felt resentful, who knows, but she abused him. And because of this, Joseph's development was affected. And he suffered because of this. So he had a very short and hot temper. And he became absent-minded. And around his village where he lived, the people, sadly, gave him this moniker as the gaper because he would wander around the town aimlessly, seemingly without purpose, with his mouth hung open. And one thing that held him through and did get his attention now, where he would be focused, was his devotional practices as he was growing in his faith. So this was his anchor. The Lord Jesus, the Catholic faith, this is what held him grounded. Now, as he grew older and he reached maturity, he was apprenticed out to be a shoemaker. Now, you know, shoemakers at this time wasn't like what we have today, right? Um, the uh, rapidity in which shoes are made or sneakers are made. Many times, uh, these shoemakers had to take, especially on a special order, their sweet time to make these shoes. They worked with leather. And that means they had to sew, to stitch by hand these shoes. And this is one of the reasons they were expensive. And this is one of the reasons they were prized. Because they were not easy to make. And they took a while to make the shoes. And it was painstaking work. And you had to have and be a craft maker to do these shoes. So much different than what we see today where they're turned out in an assembly line. But uh, so we want to keep that in focus, that this was quite a thing and quite a skill to obtain. Unfortunately, Joseph failed. He could not become a shoemaker and earn a livelihood. So what he did was because he loved uh, the faith, he applied to several monasteries, but was refused. Now, the Capuchins, they accepted him, but only on a trial basis as a lay brother. But he was so inept, so clumsy, like examples, he would drop whole piles of dishes, or he was given some duties, particular duties, and he'd forget to do them. And even with minor responsibilities, they, the Capuchins, couldn't trust him. So he was let go, and he returned home in a great depression. Obviously, his mother wasn't happy to see him. And she then turned her attention to her brother. Now, Joseph's mother's brother was a Franciscan monk, and she asked him, can you please do something with Joseph? He loves God have him accepted in the monastery as some type of servant, anything. And so this is what happened. He was taken in 
and he was given the very simple job of cleaning out stables. And while this was menial and many people would look down on this job, it was consistent work. And this type of community life really seemed to fit Joseph. And so he began to do well with this type of lifestyle. And in, uh, in essence, he became more trustworthy and capable. And he had a certain humility and a certain sweetness. And he was very diligent in his prayers, we mentioned, and devotional life. And because of this, within a few years, he was accepted as a full brother in the community. Now, he studied and he tried. And in all fairness to him, but he really had nothing to offer in the way of eloquence. And yet, despite his struggles, he was ordained a priest in 1628. And of course, he became even more devotional. And he took on rigorous fasting and disciplines. Remember, we talked a, a few shows of, about mortification and how some of the saints to uh, unite uh, their suffering with Jesus for the salvation of souls would do things like whip themselves or, you know, throw themselves into briar patches and roll around without uh, being completely naked. You know, uh, St. Cattery Tekel with her for hours, hours praying in the, the cold in the winter uh, of the uh, Mohawk Valley in New York. Very difficult, very difficult things. So after his ordination, Joseph's life became in tune more and more with Jesus. And it became uh, divine in a radical way because he began to experience ecstasies and vision. And he became a worker of miracles. So much so that it is said that he was a particular worker of miracles more than nearly any other saint that our Catholic Church has had. And he often fell into contemplative ecstasy and could not be awakened even when others would try to pinch him or strike him, actually hit him to see if they could bring him out of the ecstasy, and they couldn't. And we know that St. Francis is a uh, known saint for being friends with the animals but Joseph, St. Joseph of Cupertino, surpassed even St. Francis as being a friend of an animal. And during Mass or during his prayer, he would often be lifted from his feet, and he was observed levitating more than 70 times. 70 times. And the experience of this levitation, again, from a, a kneeling position or a seated position, or prone position, just being lifted up into the air. And this was a deep, deep physical expression of the deep, deep prayer that raised his heart and his mind to God. So much so was his heart and soul taken up to God that he levitated. And in his case, in Joseph's case, a number of levitations were well documented. And in one instance, I asked the St. Joseph's Monastery 
visited Joseph in his cell. The ambassador told his wife that he had met another St. Francis. So she, in turn, wanted to meet Joseph. And she asked to meet him in church. But Joseph, knowing his susceptibility to fall into uh, the slight, uh, ecstasy at even the sight of such things as religious imagery, as a painting, a beautiful painting of a scene from the Bible, realized that this could happen if she met him in church and he wouldn't be able to speak with her. And when he entered the church, Joseph's eyes fell on the image of Mary. And he was transported by ecstatic prayer and rose more than 10 feet off the ground. Let me repeat that. 10 feet off the ground while looking at an image of the Blessed Virgin. And then he flew over the heads of those present to the statue of Mary. So now, after gazing at the statue of Mary, not only did he levitate 10 feet off the ground, but accelerated to fly over the heads of those present to the statue of Mary. And after praying there, he flew back to the doors of the church and returned to his cell. Now, this story has been captured in depositions from eyewitnesses that were gathered for Joseph's cause for canonization. And later, Joseph was moved to a monastery in Assisi. And unfortunately, he was treated very severely by his superiors because, like St. Bernadette, they thought him hypocritical. And they suspected that he was pretending in all his ecstasies, his devotions, that it couldn't be real, that he wasn't real. And so for 13 years, brothers and sisters, 13 long, hard years, brought a period of great darkness in his life. And he suffered because his prayer became dry. And in such a dark night of the soul, he felt like God had abandoned him. And he fell into depression. Yet, God would not leave him there. For he was transferred to Rome. And the darkness loosened from his soul. And his miraculous works through the mercy of God, the grace of God, resumed. And Joseph would tell everyone, pray. Pray. If you are troubled by dryness or distractions, he would say, simply say the Our Father. This way, he said, you make both vocal and mental prayer. Now, the marvels that accompanied uh, St. Joseph of Cupertino did become a distraction to uh, both the monastery and to others who would come and still do to this day seeking novelty. So unfortunately, he was then not allowed to offer mass, to pray in public, or even to eat his meals with his brothers. And his order eventually isolated him entirely and basically to solitary confinement. 
In his obedience, he consented to the isolation. Dead was to use the solitude and alone to commune with God at an even deeper level. Now, he fell ill at the age of 60, and he died on this date in 1663. And his relics rest in a reliquary chapel in the Basilica. And that is where the pilgrims can come to see him now. So a very powerful saint. And we asked St. Joseph of Cupertino, the levitating saint, to pray for us. So a very powerful saint, a saint that worked great miracles, a saint like us in many ways in that we did not, we do not have it easy many times. And despite all the graces, sometimes there are areas of dryness in our life. No matter how much we try to uh, walk toward our Lord and live the Christian faith, we can have periods of dryness, periods of doubt, periods of things where we see, indeed, God has abandoned us. And it just seems all we do is, is useless. And there can be that dryness that can lead to uh, a depressive state. And sometimes, even though we try, and we try to do things well, we can find opposition, and not just in um, the church and the people we try to serve, but also in our own families, our friends. And, uh, you know, it can cause us great heartache. But um, I want to talk a few things about St. Joseph to Cupertino because it, it's going to tie in to what we're going to talk about next. Because many people, we live in an age today that is very cynical. That we turn to technology and science to have all kinds of answers for us. And to disprove many of the things that people before us and the cultures around the world may believe in to try and use science to dispel and bring down and tear apart things that, especially in the sacred, especially traditional, and take the mystery out of our lives, take the mystery out of this universe, and above all, take the mystery out of God and religion. Now, when we look at St. Joseph, we see that it appears that he was a fool, a failure, and a flaw. In actuality, he was a nobody. Think about it. He spent most of his life locked in a cell. He was moved from one religious house to another. He was as suspected, as we talked about, as being fraud and a hypocrite. And so he was a witch. And 
he kind of made it through his ordination by mistake. And, you know, even as a priest, you know, not being able to say mass or do anything, he seemed useless. So we see a man that had, right from the get-go of his childhood, a very difficult life, and he was accustomed to suffering. And he certainly had heavy crosses, very heavy crosses. And that's why it appears that this know-nothing saint, this know-nothing man, was a failure. And even today, many people today in the modern world would look at St. Joseph of Cupertino and probably regard him with uh, severe uh, mental uh, disabilities. You know, I mentioned some of his devotional practices. Um, some were so extreme that some people would say that he had an eating disorder. And, you know, at one time, because he was reported uh, and he was witchcraft, he had a report to the Inquisition. And this being said, it should give us a great deal of hope. When we look at the life of St. Joseph, because we can see from the life of St. Joseph of Cupertino, and this is where I want to leave him. We're going to segue using this into what I want to talk about miracles here and our society and the disbelief in them, that the mystical life unlocks the truth that the physical world in which we live in, the material world that science uh, examines, Remember, science deals with the material and not the metaphysical. And when we look at a saint like Joseph of Cupertino, or we look at some of the other saints like St. Teresa of Avila, because they were known to levitate, as well as St. Padre Pio, St. Martin de Porres, certainly St. Francis, St. Alphonsus Liguori. We have some saints like St. Vincent Ferrer that raise people from the dead. And we can see a truth in the mystical life that the physical world in which we live is stranger and more predictable, predictable, unpredictable, excuse me, than we can ever imagine. And science can only go so far with its theories and hypotheses and formulas of the material world. We believe that there are more things in heaven and earth than we can ever dream of. And the world invents not being a closed system is not as predictable as we believe it is and the skeptics that believe that. And then we as Catholics regard the supernatural as very, very valid possibilities. Why? Because we believe that Jesus Christ 
rose from the dead. And if he can rise from the dead and overcome death, that we too can believe in all the supernatural possibilities in the life we lead, this existence we live on earth. You know, we have a a tendency to take ourselves very, very seriously. You know, G.K. Chesterton, who I must just uh, sidebar here, a little disappointed, but I guess his cause uh, to try to become canonized kind of fell through. So at this time, that's been shelved. But he said something very interesting years ago. He said that the angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. Because they're childlike, which our Lord asks. Because our hearts, like St. Joseph, can become so enamored, so one with Christ, that we become very, very humble and have great humility. And that he levitated because of this levity. And as I mentioned before with St. Jacinta and St. Francisco and St. Bernadette, God can use the weak things of the world to confound, and we see this in Scripture, to confound the mighty. And the wisdom of man cannot compare to God. And when we look at a saint like St. Joseph, we can see the principle in the gospel that Jesus raises the lowly. Remember, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came. He came to change everything from a top-down approach to a bottom-up approach. And he ate and drank and conversed and saved sinners. And the marginalized at that time that Jesus lived He gave hope, and he hung out with them and gave them dignity. And, brothers and sisters, that's why a saint like St. Joseph is so important for us, because he can take a so-called failure like you and like me and use us to do incredible things, so incredible that we can actually bring another one of our brothers and sisters to our God. And how awesome, how awesome is that? You know, some of the, the bound about St. Joseph of Cupertino is that he would fly into uh, trees to talk with birds. One time he flew to help workmen place a memorial cross in the ground. And again, the flying around the church, which I mentioned uh, with that image of Mary. And you're going to hear the skeptics, of course, laugh, you know, say, well, that sounds like Superman to me, or make other things that, uh, you know, rude comments, and certainly have a great deal of doubt. And we can expect that. There were a couple books written about uh, miracles. And one of the things they, they did mention, St. Joseph of Cupertino, and I got a kick out of it because they uh, attribute his flying to being a tremendous gymnast at the time. 
and that what they really witnessed, they don't deny that the people present for some of these miracles did not witness them, but they're saying they didn't know what they were witnessing. And so Joseph could do incredible things uh, in a gymnastic sense. And what they were really witnessing, I guess, uh, is that they were watching a world-class gymnast perform these miracles of flying and other things. Now, and we've talked about this before, so I'm going to reiterate. When we look at Holy Scripture, and the people say, well, you know, this exorcism thing, this devil thing, uh, you tell me that this Jesus Christ of Nazareth was exercising demons. But, you know, those people were pretty ignorant at that time. And basically, uh, they wouldn't know diseases such as epilepsy or other psychological disturbances. And that's what Price was really maybe healing, uh, but not any demonic, nothing in the demonic realm. And again, I think we do a grave injustice, brothers and sisters, when we look down our nose upon people that have lived in the past and say they wouldn't know when they saw a possessed person in Jesus' time that he was going to perform an exorcism, raised from the ground, eyes rolled back in the, into their sockets, so just the whites of their eyes would be exposed, speaking in languages that no one knew, revealing things that no one knew. I think the ancients knew the difference between demonic possession and people that were ill. And I think we do a grave injustice when we try to kowtow that and explain it away, like St. Joseph of Cupertino being a gymnast. I would think those people in that century, these were not dumb people. Remember, we were going to have, these were a Renaissance age and new ways of thinking. And this is one of the reasons that, um, you know, the church ran into some trouble in the age of enlightenment. And we quite uh, the same feel we are enlightened today, that we know better than the past cultures, that we know better than our fellow brothers and sisters, and that we certainly know better than God. And we try to explain these things away. We try to explain away or make excuses for scripture passages. And yet the Bible is what the Bible is. It's God's word. And we can take that to the bank because in Scripture it says better to trust in God because inevitably, and we see this in our own lives many times, unfortunately, that we let down and we let people down. It's not just us that uh, are let down and sometimes betrayed, but we do that to our family, to our friends. And it's not a good thing when we try to take out the mystical and try to take out the transcendence in our lives. Because if we do that, what do we have? We have an empty vacuum, a hole that we cannot fill, no matter how many things we buy, no matter how many things we try to acquire or accomplish that we think will make us happy. 
be satisfied or not be satisfied with have complete happiness until we rest with He who created us. And if we are going to continue on a path where we try, and try we will, to tear apart all the mysticism of the Catholic Church, all the supernatural aspects of our faith, and certainly of Christ our Lord, by attacking his Bible, by attacking miracles of the saints, by trying to disprove and have an agenda where we must tear down what people believe is sacred, we are going to run into a great deal of trouble. And how do we know this? Because when we've tried this route before, and we try to throw God, we try to throw the mystical, we try to throw the miracles out of the way we live, out of what we believe, we run into trouble and we replace it with things like communism or socialism. But we try, and it's a historical fact, to fill that vacuum. And in most cases, the vacuum is filled by the so-called state, bringing about incredible uh, heartache for the average human being. And we must be very cautious of this. And, you know, we had the scripture reading where Christ brought the children and, at, and told his followers, his disciples, you must be um, like these ch- children. What, what did he mean? That we'd be like that, dependent upon other people to bring us up, to re- accept our own responsibilities? No. What he meant was that we may, must have a childlike and that we don't become jaded this will happen in life and I, I just and this is you know this isn't the type of miracle I'm going to share with now but just to show you when you're open. You're open to the Spirit. Good things can happen. And while this story, I'm going to, it's a personal story, isn't like some of the miracles that, uh, of healing, of healing of cancer, of the stopping of hurricanes, of things that are so inexplicable that there is no material explanation of a supernatural origin, which is our apparitions at Fatima or Lourdes or Knock in Ireland. It's being open and childlike to God. Now, a couple of weeks ago, um, I was out fishing with my friend, and we had done some uh, favors because... uh, my martial art instructor had passed away. And 
his mom is a widow and she needs some help. She's up there in years. So we've been helping. And my friend, uh, very handy, very talented man, uh, saw an old fishing reel and rod, a couple of them, I guess, that he was kind of shy about asking uh, his mom to give him. So he kind of asked me, would you mind, uh, would you mind uh, asking, asking her if I can have those rods and reels? They're just kind of sitting there. I'd be honored uh, to have them. And I would, you know, clean them up and fix them, and I, I'd really cherish them. I said, you know, that's no problem. Let me ask. And, of course, she said, of course, of course, that's the least I can do. So he did that. He got the rod and reel, and he um, cleaned it up, and he fixed everything, and he was very, very excited. And he went out, and he, he bought a new rod to put this reel on, and uh, we went out a few times, and he caught a bunch of fish, and he was just loving it. Well, a couple of weeks ago, as I mentioned, we were out there, and it was a terrible trip. You just one of those things where you know, you know, it's just like one of those days. You know, this is not going to be one of the better ones. There's just too many things that are happening here to uh, let us enjoy. I was busy tying some line. We were out in a little twelve-foot canoe, and it's kind of tippy, but you can do a lot of good things in there. You can get into some, you know, special areas and coves and uh, secret spots where. It's hard for impossible or impossible for a boat to get into. So, you know, you've got a better chance of catching some fish. So I was tying up and trying to strip out the, this line loop, what they call, from my reel, when all of a sudden the canoe rocked to one side. I, I thought real quick, we're going over. And I got a lot of equipment here. And I didn't want to lose it. So I tired balance and stayed in the canoe. So I'm grabbing the channels of like man I said, what happened the seat had collapsed this is a very old canoe i've had it for many 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 years and it just broke he looked he turned and said now let the rod go it's in the water and he was devastated and i gotta admit i wasn't happy about it either and uh because he hadn't owned it that long and he really cherished it and wanted to keep, you know, as, as almost a memorial to my friend. And we were in about nine feet of water. And this particular pond has what they call a lot of milk, a lot of coontail. It goes up in the bottom and almost reaches the surface. And he was just so sad and, and such himself. So, you know, being one of those days, we decided, you know, we're going to leave. We fished a little longer, but, it, you know, it lost a lot of its glamour. And I mentioned that it was handy. So I said, you know what? Let's try and come back here next week. We know the general area where you lost it, and we'll try to – we'll come up with something, try to make something, and we'll see if we can kind of dredge this thing up. And literally what we're looking for here is – the proverbial needle in the haystack. We're looking for actually something so small, a piece of line to hook and catch so you could uh, reel up in a ladder this rod and reel. So we, I called him a couple of days later, and I just said, you know, I think we should go out the earlier better. So it was a Saturday. So he made up a – he had an extending pole and a hook he made up, a little grappling hook, and he took a paint roller with a, a – 
extension to try and use that. And then finally, he had this giant lure on a fishing rod and reel to make cast to try and hook this line. So we went out there. And, you know, we really needed a miracle because the odds of us getting this in this kind of, uh, with all these, this vegetation and being in a general area where we were in, is the chances are not great, and that's an understatement. And we were out there for a bit, and I could tell he was getting frustrated, and I told him, you got to have patience, because back and forth, we went first with the grappling hook he made, this little hook, and then we went to the paint roller extension, and then he finally, in frustration, went to the rod and reel, making cast after cast after cast, trying to grab this thing. And I could tell as time passed, he was giving up hope, and he was getting very frustrated. And I prayed. I said, you know, I got to ask the Holy Spirit because this is our plan and we're not really doing well. And I did that. I said, Holy Spirit, obviously you can see us. We're not doing well. We are way off here. We, we, are, we need, you know, something here. What do we do? I'm asking you, Holy Spirit. And I asked in faith, what do we need to do? What is the, what's the program here? How do we get this? And I heard, go back to the hook. And my friend turned and he looked at me. He said, well, what do you think we should do? Because he was casting that rod with the lure. And I said, Rick, we go back with the hook. And brothers and sisters, he dropped that tool. Because I asked the Holy Spirit what to do, what tool to use. And that's what came, go back to the hook. And when he pulled that up, there was a thin bit of fishing line. And he yelled, he said, Al, there's line. And I said, just grab the line and start pulling it. And within a second or two, that rod came up. And if I could tell on his face, face the relief, and he grabbed that rod and he pumped his arm and said, thank you, God, what a gift. And I told him the story how I prayed just a few seconds ago. And while that is a, you know, a small miracle in the realm of things when saints were raising people from the dead and healing cancers and throwing out demons and stopping hurricanes and talking to animals and the Eucharist turning into the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, it shows you in every circumstance, how God cares about us in the great and serious things in our lives and the most mundane and trivial, but that may be important to us as individuals. That if you're open and humble and childlike and believe and expect God through his grace, through his spirit, to work miracles in your lives, brothers and sisters, he will do them. And you won't need all the science to explain away the creation stories of the Bible. Or Joseph Cupertino being a gymnast. Or Christ not really kicking out demons, but they were psychological problems. And that the Red Sea really didn't part. And that Jonah wasn't spending three days in a whale. 
and that there was a confrontation besides a prophet against the prophets of Baal. And fire consumed what those false prophets brought about in this contest behind a real prophet of God that Scripture tells us about. And the miracles that Jesus did healing of the woman at the well, a spiritual healing, of the woman, a physical healing with a blood disorder, of proclaiming his mission as he did to give sight to the blind, to free those in prison, and liberate hearts and souls that were captive by being chained to sin. And feeding thousands and thousands of people with many leftovers. You can believe in that because that is our God, because he is our creator. And he rose from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it overcomes everything in this natural world and goes well beyond the physical and material world in which we live in. And we witness some of the saints, like St. Vincent Ferrer, raising people from the dead, as Jesus did in Scripture with a young man and a young girl, and then, of course, himself. And we can believe this with our whole heart and our whole soul, because he is God. And despite all the wonderful things we do, and we do do wonderful things. My goodness, we went in just a short time, in a hundred years, from a horse and buggy for transportation to putting men on the moon. We see the advances in medicine and how many, many people are helped by technology. And yet, it is a tool. A tool and a gift from God, and it is up to us to use it with great responsibility. And technology does bring some good things. But does it bring us greater freedom that God has promised us? A freedom and a truth in believing in him and his word, what he can accomplish in us. Not only now, but look it back through the ages, what Jesus has accomplished. When things seem down and out, brothers and sisters, there is a saint. There is something that happens that Jesus brings us back to him. To get us out of our dryness, to get us out of our sadness, depression, our cynicism, and bring us back to a childlike wonder and awe that he alone can work. And when you have freedom in Christ, you do have freedom. And it's the freedom to choose what he wants for us, his will, because he wants the best for us. He wants our happiness. He has come to give us joy and abundantly more joy. And that's what we hear in false messages. And we live in a very secularized society that continuously bombards us 
with false messages that if we buy this, if we acquire this, we will have the freedom, freedom, excuse me, and happiness that we all search for. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Are we freer now from electronics and technology than we were 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, a year ago? Are our lives becoming so dependent that we actually now, whether it's a Surrey or this, uh, I, I can't think of the other thing offhand where you talk into the, uh, this little cylinder that they have out and we hear a synthesized voice and we call them her. She, she said to go here. She said to take this turn. She said that as it's a, it's a human being. That, brothers and sisters, is not freedom. When we have hundreds of emails to check a day, when we have so many responsibilities with this electronic technology, we're in bondage. And now we see that it's pervading everything. We just had a drone attack the refinery in Syria, which is causing havoc. And now we see even higher te technological advances coming into play, such as this, this 5G and how it's going to, again, free us and make things easier. And yet another thing that we are going to become dependent upon we must be very, very careful because what this is leading to, now this again is just my opinion, is this artificial intelligence. I mean, at what price do we pray? You know, there's another Terminator movie coming out. If you remember those in the 80s, it, it made Arnold Schwarzenegger a star. And it was so far-fetched. But you begin to wonder if it's that far-fetched. Is there a point when everything we do, when we surrender our liberty, our responsibilities, the supernatural aspects of our lives, what we believe, what we hold sacred, what we hold true, and we give them up for comfortability to take the onus and our responsibility off us? And what we must do as creatures of God, not creatures and creation of technology, but creatures and creation of God, then truly we can set ourselves up for the master will become the slave. And what was once thought is pure science fiction and laughed at as a joke with the speed of technology and the speed at which we are advancing and the speed at which we are giving up control of our very lives and our very freedom, that this can become a possibility. And we don't know where all this leads. But we need prayer and we did a show on discernment and we need discernment.
in these times because these are very, very fast and very complex and very dangerous times. You know, we must be very careful when, about giving our freedom to something that we've designed. We must watch. We must be on guard. Or we may pay a terrible price. Because I mentioned that these things and technologies are tools. And that's all they are, just tools. And yet we have capabilities now where let's use the drone, because I mentioned that attack in Syria. And we have our whole disrupted. And what would we do if we could not have what we're used to especially in the United States, if this is disrupted, what would we do? Do we have the basic skills to be able to do things like grow food anymore or hunt or fish, stay warm? How would we do this? How can we do this? And while the comfortability is a good thing, and I must admit, I enjoy many things too. I enjoy the it's amazing in the age we live. The thing that we do, the life in your life, where you fresh drinking water comes out when many, many parts of the world don't have that luxury, and we take things for granted. Can you imagine? We live in a country that you you don't decide, you know, if you're going. From a grocery seven or some grocery store if you're hungry, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, and get something. It's incredible. It's incredible. But is there a price that we can pay for that? When we try to just make everything, where we try in essence to become God and try to rely on technology and the tools that we make with technology that we create. In essence, to throw out the supernatural, to throw out the miraculous, and to become a slave to what we design. And the ramifications can be possibly for us as human beings, our spiritual beings, even if many of us today do not recognize that we are spiritual beings and that we are on a path, always looking at the horizon, walking that horizon toward God that we can pay. Pay severely. Especially we deny the supernatural world and that there is a supernatural battle between God and Satan and good and evil. Because that's a reality. A real reality and a true reality and that's why we must be discerning in this age that we live in because it can seem like a very pretty package 
And you know, we mentioned before, one of the tricks that Satan uses to deceive people is to not see the monster for who he truly is. But a pretty packaging that gets us tempted, piques our curiosity, and then leads us down a path that can lead to utter destruction. Because remember, even despite many things today changing in people's belief, that Jesus said that the road to salvation is narrow and the road to perdition is wide. Now, modern man, we've changed that a little, that the road to salvation is wide and the road to perdition is narrow. So we must look and stand on that truth that our beautiful Catholic Church has through Scripture, sacred tradition, and a catechism. And that's why in discerning all these things, it's important to use those three things. And then it's important for us to remember that you and I are all children of God. And he has given us this great gift of free will. And that free will has a great deal of responsibility in our lives. Who is right and just. And it requires us as Catholics to use the sacraments that Christ has given us to have a strong prayer life and to be discerning in a time, as I mentioned, that is so fast and furious and with many, many traps, many dangers that we must be aware of. And we, as scripture tells us, as Christ wanted his apostles, because we are apostles of Christ, to be gentle as doves and wise. To be wise in the way of the world. We live in the world. But to always fix our eyes and our gaze like flint at Christ. He is the final truth. And it is he we will have to have an accountability, not to, not to technology, not to governments, but to him. And if we do these things, and we walk with him, receive the sacraments, live the commandments, we will be on that road to salvation. For he opened that for us to have once again with his sacrifice on Calvary. And brothers and sisters, put your cross, put your God, not in princes, and he will bring us to him, not only in our lives, but now in the life we are living, open to all. Good night and God bless. We hope you enjoyed the program and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.